Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Director of Missions Mobilization, Dave Harden. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How are you guys? All right, well, if you're not standing, you can go ahead and stand with us. Step into worship. And I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty prayers, treasures of faith, but never enough. And you came along. Every desire is now satisfied. 
ninja-like reflexes. Don't ask me to do that again. Guess what next month is? Christmas. It's coming quick. So while you're thinking about Christmas, while you're thinking about getting stuff for your family, why not think about uh, packing an Operation Christmas Child box? You can do it. You can grab boxes back down hallway B in the ministry center. If you don't grab one of these and you got one of these at home, you can use one of those. Um, you can use any type of shoe box. Pack it for a boy, pack it for a girl. It's a great thing. It goes all over, the, all over the world, and they get to hear the gospel with presents, which is all, all, also a great thing. The last day we're collecting here is November 22nd, so it's just three weeks. Um, you can, again, you can use boxes. We have boxes, or you can build one online. Don't forget, pack your box. Got it? If you need a box, we're in the back. Let's continue to worship.
Thank you, Dean, and, and thank you, worship band, for bringing that incredible truth through song. But those last two songs, if we put those together, we're singing to the King of Kings, and we're building our life upon the foundation of his love. How amazing is that? What, what incredible truth that uh, brings us to worship our, our good and awesome God. Um, for those of you that are new here, whether in person as we're gathered or online, I am not Pastor Joe. He is on vacation this week, uh, and he asked me if I would step in and help us to understand what it looks like to pray missionally. So we've been going through uh, a series on prayer, and this is part of continuing in that series on prayer. And today we're going to be looking at uh, why we should pray missionally, and then we're going to take some uh, practical steps of how we put that into practice as we pray missionally. So um, what I'm going to do is take us through some of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 and just walk through some of scripture and take a look at how God worked amongst the early disciples as Jesus taught them, as they prayed, as they then went out and preached the gospel and we're able to see many saved. So um, let's go ahead and open up here in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. And God's word says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for them, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went, up to, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. This is the word of God. So as we think about why we should pray Michelin and, and what that looks like, I want to pull out some truths from this scripture that we just read, and then we're going to jump over into chapter 2 and read some of that chapter as well. But, but the first thing I want to point out is that Something we find here in verse 3, it says that Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the kingdom of God. So here we see that the disciples received a word from God, from Jesus, concerning his kingdom. And, and as we look at this passage in Acts chapter 1 and as we move on into Acts chapter 2, it would be real easy to move on from there. Just to kind of see, okay, that's what he was teaching them. And to go on, let's, let's get some more important things. But dare we not pass on from this truth that Jesus was teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. Because you see, this is the key to understanding the rest of this book of Acts. It's the key to understanding the rest of the New Testament. And really, if we think about all of Scripture, understanding this idea about the kingdom of God is the key to understanding Scripture itself. So I don't want to move on too quickly from that. In fact, I want to stop right now and I want to define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the place where God rules and reigns over his people for his eternal glory. So we have a couple elements there. We, we have a place, or what we would know in a kingdom as a domain. Every kingdom has a domain. That's the place, God's place. God ruling and reigning over his people all towards the purpose of his glory. So when we think about kingdom of God, let's think about it in that way. A place, God ruling and reigning over his people for his glory. 
One other term that I'd like to define at this point is um, the term missional. As we're gathered and as we're taking a look at what it looks like to pray missionally, how did that look like in Scripture? What can that look like for us? Uh, It would be good to stop and define the term missional because it has many different meanings um, in our world today, especially in our country, in our society. If you ask uh, any two or three people what the word missional means, you're going to get different definitions. So I want to keep this simple, and I want to help us to understand what the word missional means. Missional is God's mission, known as the Missio Dei in Latin. God's mission to redeem his kingdom through Jesus Christ and to set Jesus Christ as king over all. So when we talk about being missional, we're talking about God's mission. Like I said, the Missio Dei. And God's mission is a kingdom mission. He's redeeming his kingdom His rule and reign over his people and his place. He's doing that through Jesus Christ. And he's doing it all for the purpose of setting Jesus Christ as king of kings over all things. I I love that song that we just sang earlier, king of kings. It brings out that truth so clearly. And so if we take a look at scripture, that's what it's all working toward. Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over all creation. I want to just uh, show us a couple passages here um, that will bring out that truth and and just make it really clear. So if we could turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verses 20 through 23. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 reads that he worked in Christ, talking about God the Father working in Christ, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what does this passage tell us? It tells us this is what God is doing. This is what God is working towards. Putting Jesus Christ as king of kings over all things. Putting everything in subjection under his rule and reign. Let's take a look at one more passage, just uh, the next uh, book over in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at verses 8 through 11. And we're going to look at this same truth here. So let me read that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And being found in human form, talking about Jesus Christ, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So do you see what the New Testament is telling us? 
making it very clear this is what God is working towards. This is God's mission to redeem his kingdom through Jesus Christ, to set Jesus Christ as king of kings over all things so that God will be glorified throughout the world. Don't you just love it when you can read a book and you're going along, um, maybe a mystery, and you're like, man, I, I, I know the mystery that's here, but I really want to know the answer. And so then you go and you, you take a look at the back, and you see where that mystery is headed, and you're like, oh, that's what this is all leading towards in this mystery. Well, guess what? In the Bible, we don't have a mystery. We have the answer to what God is working toward in his mission from creation all the way to recreation. God is working towards this one goal, setting Jesus Christ as king of kings, ruling and reigning over his people in his place for his eternal glory. If we were to turn to the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation, the very end of scripture, we would see God the Father seated on the throne, the new heaven coming down to the new earth, the new Jerusalem being that place where God's presence dwells, and seated on the throne and the lamb seated with him. Do you hear that kingdom terminology? A throne, whenever you think of a throne, you think of a kingdom. And so this is what God is working toward. And we could go back to the Old Testament and we could go all the way through Scripture we would see that same truth. And so, from Scripture we see that God has a mission. And his mission is a kingdom mission. To redeem his kingdom. And so we're going to use that language of kingdom mission um, in the rest of our time together as we take a look at what it looks like to pray missionally. Now, because God has a mission, and because we get to see that mission throughout all of Scripture, we can say that God is a missionary by nature. He has this mission, and that's who he is. It's part of who he is naturally, by nature. He is a missionary. He's a missionary God. And if we were to take a look at uh, the grand narrative of Scripture, we would see how God plays out his missionary nature. And we would see that um, from the grand narrative of Scripture, the big story of the Bible, we can see that God has always been creating a people to whom he would reveal his glory and through whom he would reveal his glory to the world in the carrying out of his kingdom mission. So God has a kingdom mission to redeem his kingdom, carrying that out through Jesus Christ with the goal of setting Jesus Christ as king of kings over all things. But in that mission, God is choosing to use his people. That would be us. If you're a child of God. And in that mission, God has revealed his glory to us. In the face of Jesus Christ. If we were to turn to 2 Corinthians 4, it would tell us that very clearly. But he's done that with the purpose, not that we would just see the glory of Jesus and respond, but so that he could use us then to reveal his glory to the world in the carrying out of his kingdom mission. And so this kingdom mission involves us. 
It involves Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look and see that it involves very clearly the Spirit of God. It involves the Word of God. Unfortunately, we have all of that at our access. We have the story of Scripture. So, since God is missionary by nature, since he's using us, his people, in his mission to reveal his glory to the world around us, we can say that we then are missionary by nature. We're those who are created in his image to display and demonstrate the character of God to those around us. So God is a missionary God, and we are, as his people, missionary by nature. But also, as the family of River Bluff gathered, both here in person and online, as his people, we are a missionary church by nature. It is our very nature that we are a missionary church because we have a missionary God and we are missionary people. And now we're just missionary people gathered as the family of River Bluff. I hope you can see that. And so we live out of our nature. It's what we do naturally. And so what do we do naturally? We are missionaries because we have a missionary God. And so we are a missionary church. You won't see that name, River Bluff Missionary Baptist Church, but that's who we are because that's who our God is and that's who we are as his people. We are to be missionary by nature. Not my words, it's, it's what scripture shows. And we need to remember that it's not our mission. We may be a church that sends out missionaries, and I have the incredible privilege of, as being the missions pastor here of taking teams on mission trips, both to Cuba and Ecuador and in the past other places. So we do send out missionaries, but we don't just send out missionaries. Guess what? We are the missionaries. Each and every one of us is part of his people. We are the missionaries as the church, as the family of River Bluff Church. And so remembering that it's God's mission, not ours, one of the ways that uh, I heard that expressed was it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but rather God has a church for his mission in the world. That is our purpose. God has us gathered as the family of River Bluff for the purpose of carrying out his mission. Pointing people and declaring the universal rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all things. So that's why we exist as a church. And if you go back and you look at that timeline in the hallway there, you'll see how God has used River Bluff Church in the carrying out of that mission. Declaring the universal reign, rule and reign of Jesus Christ. What an incredible privilege that we have as God's people. All right, so that's point one. <laughs> I want to move on now a little bit further in um, Acts chapter one as we, as we go back through 1 through 14 and, and take a look um, at what else God is saying that will help us understand what that looks like to pray missionally. So the next thing I want to take a look at is um, found 
in verses 4 through 11 where it says the disciples received a promise from God that he was going to empower them through his spirit and use them as his people in his kingdom mission. Remember that promise that um, Jesus gave to his disciples? He said, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's a promise that Jesus is giving his disciples. You will be empowered by my spirit to carry out my mission as my people. And so that's the second uh, truth that we find that will help us understand what it looks like to pray missionally. Um, then the third thing that we find here in this passage from Acts chapter 1 through 14 is, is a, one of the key things um, that I want to bring out as we think about what it looks like to pray missionally. So here in verse 14 it says, all these, talking about all the apostles, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So here's what's going on here. Jesus has been teaching his disciples about his kingdom. We saw that that was right before Jesus ascended into heaven to be with his father again. So the last thing he's teaching them, the last thing that he's telling them is about the kingdom of God. That must have been pretty important. If you have... The last thing you're going to tell somebody before you leave and you want them to carry on your work, whatever you tell them, that's going to be pretty important instructions. He told them about the kingdom of God. And then we see Jesus promising them that this is about the kingdom of God, but I'm going to empower you through my spirit. And I'm going to use you as my witnesses in the carrying out of my kingdom mission. And so what was their response to that after Jesus ascended to heaven? It says they went back to Jerusalem, gathered in the upper room, and they were devoting themselves to praying about the kingdom of God. Think about where they were. What had happened 40 days earlier in Jerusalem to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He had been crucified. He'd been buried was resurrected. Do you think Jerusalem was a real safe place for his followers to be at that time? No. It was like the Jewish religious leaders were on what we might call a witch hunt. They wanted to wipe out this idea of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. Jesus Christ as the king. In fact, they mocked him. That sign they put on the cross, the robe that they put on Jesus as they were whipping him, the crown of thorns, that was all talking about his, his kinghood, his kingdom. And the sign they put on the top of the cross, here is the king of the Jews. That was all done in mockery. They wanted nothing to do with that kingdom. Caesar was king of Rome, and as long as they behaved and they submitted themselves to Caesar, life was good for them. But here comes Jesus Christ and this ragtag bunch of followers saying, no, Caesar isn't king. He doesn't rule and reign. Really, 
this man, Jesus, is the one to rule and reign. And so Jesus tells him to go back to Jerusalem. That would be a very dangerous place to go and be, and to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ at that time. But while they were there, they devote themselves to prayer. And what are they praying about? They are praying about the very thing that Jesus had taught them, but not only the very thing that Jesus had taught them, the very thing that Jesus had taught them to pray about. Over the last couple of weeks, we, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. And how does that start out? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the Lord's Prayer is all about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And in some translations, although not all translations, it ends with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's filled, the Lord's Prayer is filled with that kingdom language because that's God's kingdom mission. And so what are the disciples gathered with Mary and the other women, what are they doing? They're praying about the kingdom of God. They've been promised that this will take place through them as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So um, let's move on to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're going to see how this uh, continues to carry out here. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 11 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, talking about the followers of Jesus and others, Jews, who had come for the Passover feast. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, just as God had said they would be. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So this brings about our next point. Number four, they experience the fulfillment from God of the promised Holy Spirit. And we're declaring his mighty works as part of his kingdom mission. So we saw earlier that Jesus told his disciples before he ascended, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses throughout the world. And here now we see the fulfillment of that promise. Because our God always keeps his promises. And our God is on a mission. 
And that mission now involves the Holy Spirit being the one who empowers God's people to carry out God's kingdom mission. I want to take a look now at a little bit more from Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verses 22 through 24 and then 29 through 33. And this is within the context of Peter preaching the gospel to the crowd that had gathered there. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What a wonderful truth. Here we have the crucifixion, and we have the resurrection. Let's jump on down now to verse 29 through 33 and continue looking at Peter here preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on